talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Reporting during the NFL Draft on Thursday night, we were at pick 25 as we start recording, which means three Buckeyes are off the board. Number two, CJ Stroud to the Houston Texans. Number six, Paris Johnson to the Arizona Cardinals. Number 20, Jackson Smith and Jigba to the Seattle Seahawks. And we're waiting by the end of this, we hope to know whether Dewan Jones went in the first round or not. We'll start with C.J. Stroud. Nathan, when we did, Doug Lamarie's Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, thanks for joining us. All the stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Nathan, when we did our mock drafts, we had C.J. in the top four. I think we had him maybe going two, but like not to, not to actually going to Houston. I thought all along, I didn't know about the fit of C.J. Stroud to Houston. And Houston just sat there and let the world say that. A lot of people were like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like Houston's that interested. And then they were like, nope, we're taking them. Like right before the draft, people started tweeting the betting lines on FanDuel and DraftKings and sites like that had moved drastically to like, it's clearly CJ Stroud's going to be the number two pick because that's how you bet it on those apps. And I was thinking, okay, maybe there's a deal in place. They figured it out. Somebody's going up to get CJ. But it was like, no, the team that had the second pick the whole time is just going to take him. So just let me do People already know the information. We're here for the analysis. Why did the Texans let CJ Stroud get slandered for two weeks if they were going to take him the whole time? Why? There's no intrigue. You're not trying to trick anybody. The Panthers are taking Bryce Young. We get reports. Everybody's like, these reports, are they smoke screens? This cognition stuff? Anything that can, it's like, no, Bryce Young's going to go one. CJ Stroud's going to go two. It's easy. It's simple. It's obvious. And the Houston Texans were like, we're going to slow play it so hard. And CJ's just blowing in the wind out there. And then he gets picked and he gets picked and he, he breaks down because a, he is a real guy and real guys have emotions but two because he got slingandered for the last week and then it all turned out fine but why didn't someone stop it before why did the houston Texans just say like hey leakers let us leak this it's all good we love the guy we're taking him second it's, it's a little frustrating to be nathan that the, that the texans nick casario the gm by the way you watch his news conference i'm i've was at his podium at the Combine, doesn't say anything. He is a, talk about coach speak, that is GM speak to the GM speakiness. And he let C.J. Stroud flap. Why, Nathan? I don't know. Now, even tonight when Ryan Day was doing his rounds on ESPN, trying to refute some of those reports that were out there about the, the cognition tests and things. Still, nobody has said, no, CJ Stroud's score was actually this, and it was much higher. Nobody has said that yet. Like, so there's probably somewhere the truth is in the middle. Like, maybe it wasn't 18th percentile, but maybe it also wasn't all that great. And maybe it doesn't matter to some teams. I think that's the other part of this. Um, to some extent, I guess you can't control what other people are willing to put out there. Um, I think from a, from, I, I did wonder though, from a, from a value standpoint, maybe if you're the Texans though, and you're just sold on Stroud and you're not worried about his, his reputation taking a hit because you're not trying to trade off of that pick anyway, you're not trying to pump up the value that you would get for that pick, <clears throat> excuse me, then 
maybe you don't feel motivated to 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 share any uh, information that would refute those scores. Maybe they're not one of the 17. Maybe they are one of the 17 teams that doesn't even subscribe, according to what Ryan Day said, that there's only 15 teams that even get the S2. So I don't, I don't know why they did it. I don't know why. There's there. It's lame. I, it's lame. It's, it's been going on too long. I'm not making you can't, free, other, you can't control what other people say, but you can say something yourself to help shut it down, Houston Texans. And why would you care? Because you're about to make this guy part of your franchise. So don't let him flap in the wind for two weeks. Steven, I don't know, man. If I was CJ Stroud, listen, I think this is going to be good. I have a particular reason why I think this is going to be good. But if I was CJ Stroud, I'd go in and say like, hey, could you have thrown me a solid somewhere along the way from everybody loves me to what's wrong with this guy? Is he going to fall? And the whole time you guys are sitting there like, no, we're taking him second. I don't know. Wouldn't you ask that question, Steven, when you showed up for your news conference, put on the hat? Um. If I'm CJ, no, just because, I mean, I think we, we've we had, all three of us have a decent enough relationship with CJ from media player relationship to know that he doesn't care that much. It's, it is what it is. Uh, the only way this makes sense is if they're really sold on CJ Stroud and they weren't necessarily all the way sure if the Panthers were leaning Bryce Young or CJ Stroud yet. I mean, that's, that's the only way it makes sense. All right. Well, that's part all right. Of it. I mean, so let's, let's not talk about it then. They knew. Everybody knew the Panthers. I mean, they, they knew. People knew. People, the Bryce Young's going to the Panthers. That came out. And then it was like, okay, now that Bryce Young's going to the Panthers, we don't know what's up with the CJ Stroud stuff. All right, let's change the subject. We're not The discussion is what it is. There's two reasons that I like the way this unfolded. And, Stephen, the two things I like about this are, A, the Texans don't have much, but the one thing they do have is a good left tackle who's making a boatload of money in Laramie Tunsil. And so if you're mm-hmm. starting out with the quarterback, and again, we'll see how much C.J. Stroud moves around. We can pretend it's still not what he does best. Let the man stand in the pocket and pick defenses apart. Starting with the left tackle, very nice. For instance, you know who could have used a left tackle? Justin Fields when he got to the NFL, right? That kind of thing. That's good. The second thing I like is C.J. Stroud going with a friend to a terrible franchise. They're bad at football right now. And D'Amico Ryans is the new head coach he's taken over. But for Will Anderson, they are in lockstep. They are the co-faces of this franchise now, Stephen. And I think for CJ, with his personality, that's not a, hey, get out of my spotlight, Will Anderson. Let's a, hey, let's do this together. And and Nick Saban saying things before the draft, like Will Anderson's the most popular guy in the Alabama locker room. I think Will Anderson's got it, right? And again, I just think CJ feels things so to say hey cj here's a terrible franchise boom it's all on your shoulders it's kind of like gene smith saying with usc coming into the big 10 it's not that ohio state it's not like oh no we don't want to share the spotlight it's like hey there's somebody else here who could help carry the burden there's somebody else there to help cj stroud carry the burden they can do this together this year for the next five years the next 10 years maybe i like that situation for cj stroud it's so unusual for the same team to have picks two and three, the Texans moved up for number three. What do you think of the Stroud Anderson pairing, Stephen? Hell of a draft, hell of a day one for Texans. You got your new head coach. You can be excited about because those defenses that he's had in San Francisco are awesome. You've got your franchise guy on offense, and you've got your franchise guy on defense. Let's go. Uh, 
let's let's see where it takes us. The Browns maybe did something similar here to an extent when they got Baker Mayfield the same year they got Denzel Ward while also throwing on top of that Miles Garrett was the number one pick the year before that. So we've seen teams have this, but to have it to this extent where all the new stuff is coming in at the same time for a franchise who's quite frankly just trying to press the reset button after the Deshaun Watson stuff. They're just trying to move forward and try to find some optimism. I think if you're a Texans fan, you have three reasons to have optimism about where this franchise is headed over the next couple of years here. You got, you already hired your coach and now you've got it with your two franchise guys at the two most important positions in football, quite frankly, edge rusher can the guy who can get after the quarterback and then the actual quarterback. I, I thought it was a really savvy, like, uh, end around to the way people thought they might be approaching this too because people thought well Mm -hmm. they'll take the defensive guy at two this isn't this isn't a dig at you doug because i know you were kind of thinking about this they would take the defensive guy at two and then um build that way and then next year they'll have this extra draft capital that if they have to move up and get a quarterback they can do that next year they'll have two first round picks again next year and they said no we're not waiting around we're using that draft capital now we're making the gambit now we're getting the quarterback and the defensive guy That, that was i think we thought this might be kind of a wild first round, and I like—I guess I shouldn't say nobody thought this because I think Daniel Jeremiah actually predicted this in his final mock that it was going to go Stroud two and then trading up back from twelve to three to take Anderson, but not a lot of other people saw it. It is interesting because obviously it's in the building. You're split, so you take both. Now we'll see if it's savvy because it has come out. So we know that the Texans, and this is not a Houston Texans podcast. The Texans traded, so they traded twelve to move up to three. So to move up nine spots, they gave up the first pick in the second round this year, their own first round pick next year. They have the Browns first round pick next year as well. It is not the Browns pick. It is their own pick first round pick next year and a third next year. So you give up a one, a two and a three to move up nine spots and they might stink this year. And They might have picked, if they love Will Anderson, we love Will Anderson. We can't live in a world where we're not picking Will Anderson. What they did, maybe, is take C.J. Stroud over Caleb Williams because Mm -hmm. they might be bad enough. That pick that Arizona has from them next year is, no offense to C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson, it's probably going to be in the top five. It might be in the top three. It might be number one. And we might be looking back and saying, what, they? what, you shug? Well, like I that shrug. to me, I don't know that that. I think CJ Stroud's a better quarterback know. than Caleb Williams. I don't know what why that's a controversial statement. You are literally. I mean, you're you can say that you are literally the only person in America who thinks that. Read Bruce Feldman, what the NFL people say about Caleb Williams. So, like, that's fine that you think that. Like, you're literally the only person who thinks that. So, I we'll see how savvy it is. But the idea you fall in love, and I think it's good when you go to a team that falls in love with you. Rather than just like a team, it's like, well, I'll take this guy. They fell in love with two guys. And now that they got their polyamorous, the, the Texans are like, well, we'll do both. They didn't pick. They took, they did both. So that is, but they gave up a big price to do both. And so now this situation, Nathan, one of the things is they have no receivers. Literally, maybe his best target there is Noah Brown, <laughs> former Buckeye. I have no idea. Who CJ is going to throw to? Nick Serio is down there, like saying, like, well, you know, we don't have a timetable, and I think like CJ is going to play. This is ridiculous. Let's not dork around about this. If they slow play him a little bit, like the Bears did with Justin, well, like maybe you're not the week one starter. But 
you know, they had a, they hit on the one, was it Damian Pierce, Damon Pierce, like the, the running back last year, who was really good. Everybody was picking up in fantasy football. Like they have a couple things here, but like, what do you think a rookie season might be like in Houston, Nathan, for CJ Stroud? Right. So like, there's the emotional part of it. I think the structure, the emotional, they don't have to be in a hurry to win. They're in this together. D'Amico Ryan's has a long leash. There's no pressure. Right. But also when they get out there, you know, I, I don't know what his skill guys are going to be like with him. I don't either. I think it could be a, a rough start. They're going to have to maybe address that in later rounds if they can. But uh, this has been one of the worst teams in pro football for a reason for the last few years. And one of those reasons is all yeah. the things that went sideways with Deshaun Watson. But one of the other things that was happening was they were making some really questionable decisions. I thought with, with some of their skill position players, like legitimate skill position players and, and it, uh, odd stuff. So uh, they, they, they have to find this new direction. They've obviously got a new coach in place and we'll see how that takes them. But I think there's going to have to probably be some, um, I mean, it's going to have to grow with him. And it's, it's why, again, it's why the Will Anderson thing is smart, because if he has the kind of impact people think you could have right away, and now you you bring down the the uh, burden that is on Stroud's shoulders. Now you don't, you know, you're not, it's one thing if you are the quarterback of a team with a, a rough offense. It's another thing if you're doing that and you also need to go score a bunch of points to have any chance to win a game. So if you can, if you can just sort of ease that burden a little bit, um, it'll maybe help his transition too. I, I think you're right though. I think, I mean, Davis Mills, um, the guy that he drafted in the third round for in 2021, he's been the starter the last two years. He regressed in a lot of different metrics last year um, from completion percentage to touchdown percentage, to interception percentage. A lot of those things, he led the NFL in interceptions last year, um, which you sometimes do when you're playing on a bad team that, and people know you have to throw late in games and whatnot. But uh I would not be surprised at all if the keys got turned over to him pretty soon. John Mechie, the former uh, Alabama receiver who got diagnosed with leukemia last year as a rookie and missed all of last year. He was back on the, with at the voluntary um, like April workouts with the Texans. So if he's back to himself, which everybody is hoping and praying for, like he could be a guy that could, that could be a receiver for them this year. Um, Nico Collins, the former Michigan guy was third round pick in 2021. He's there. Noah Brown, again, it's not a great group of pass catchers. It's going to be interesting, Stephen, because the whole thing with, with C.J. Stroud about like, oh, well, you know, it's just all the receivers. We're going to find out because the receivers are nothing. Like if we went through right now and said, let's rank the receiving cores in the NFL, he's coming from number one in college. He's going to number 31, 29, <laughs> if they're lucky. Like this is a bottom five receiving core. And we will. I, part of that almost fascinates me. And part of that, I think, for CJ is like, okay, oh, you think it's all the, oh, you think it's the receivers? You think it's just, oh, you, you want to do this? You think it's just the, re- you know, give me a window the size of a of a of a thimble, and we'll see what happens. But I'm curious to see what it looks like, Stephen. I think CJ Stroud and Justin Fields ideally went to like the perfect situations for us to find out just how good they were. Not perfect situations in terms of you know team success and the things that actually matter in sports, but just Justin Fields didn't have anything this year and it became hey Justin just take off and run just go get a thousand yards we'll figure it out this offseason and he did it pretty well now can he 
and they win two. Can he be a Super Bowl contending type of quarterback? We'll find that out over the next couple of years here. Um, if Nathan doesn't get stressed out too much about it, the Texans kind of the same thing here. They've got some semblance of an offensive line at least. They just don't have the receivers. Well, CJ ball placement specialist, he said that throws guys open, all that stuff to where it would seem like he should be able to be okay without a true weapon at wide receiver in a way that we'll get, they'll probably get him something next year. They're probably hoping the Browns sink next year so they can just go get Marv and then call it a wrap. But I think well, CJ's in they, they should have kept their own pick because the Browns are going to be worse than the Texans. That is true. But I, I think CJ is at least in a situation where just like Justin Fields this past year and finding out just how good he is, I think CJ can do that this year while also they might just lean on their defense because Will Anderson, if he's as good as maybe people think he is, Derek Stingley was the guy they took with the top five pick last year, and now they've got a defensive head coach on top of that. So the the Ohio State part of this, Nathan, five last five years, three first round quarterbacks for Ohio State: Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, getting progressively higher in the draft. Dwayne was fifteen, Justin was eleven, C.J. is now two. He's the highest quarterback picked in Ohio State history. Arch Schleister, who went number four in 1982, was the only top 10 quarterback in Ohio State. No, it was one of two top 10 quarterbacks. So here's what happened. The site that I look at for draft stuff listed Don Scott in 1941 as a B, not a QB, as a back. Because back in the 40s and 50s, when it was like, eh, what's a quarterback? What's a running back? It's the same thing. So I didn't have Don Scott on my list. And then I put out a tweet and then Marcus Hartman who I think was alive in the 40s. Marcus Hartman from the Dayton Daily News is like the oldest football guy on the beat. Like like if you're just like saying something and he'll be like, well, you know, in 1956, Woody said this. And like, that's why the guard, it's like, okay, Mar- I didn't know that Marcus. Marcus knows it. Thank God somebody knows it. So Marcus was like, Don Scott tweeted at me. And I'm like, uh, I'm an idiot. So I thought that, that CJ was the second Ohio State top 10 quarterback ever. Arch Schleister in 1982 was the first. Don Scott in 1941 was pick number nine. So as it turns out, it's a 41-year gap. Don Scott, top 10 quarterback, 41-year gap to 1982. Arch Schleister, top 10 quarterback, 41-year gap to 2023. Mm -hmm. And here we are. So I was like, oh, it's like I did it on purpose, even though it was actually just a factual error that I had to fix. So that idea, Nathan, by the way, also first top 10 quarterback from the Big Ten since Kerry Collins went number five in 1995 out of Penn State. So we know like this is again. So I'm like narrowing it down just beyond first round quarterbacks. I'm talking top 10 now. This is like heavy duty kind of stuff. So there had been like there, like North Dakota State had had multiple top 10 quarterbacks in between Arch Leister and C.J. Stroud because they had Carson Wentz and Trey Lance. Like schools are doing this. So this is a big deal for Ohio State. Maybe people aren't hung up on the top 10. Nathan, we knew it was going to happen. Three first-round quarterbacks in five years. Two first-round quarterbacks in the previous history of Ohio State football. Ryan Day is back there in the green room. Corey Dennis is back there in the green room. Mickey Marotti's back there in the green room. Justin Fry's back there in the green room. Everybody's hanging out in Kansas City for the draft. And we'll get to Paris and Jackson in a second. Was it due for Ohio State to have C.J. Stroud go second, Nathan? Is it due? I don't know. I would definitely take the under on 41 years for the next one to be in the top 10, though. I mean, this is what Ryan Day came here to establish. He came here for this to be QBU. He came here for uh, NFL draft success to start being a um, a staple of this program instead of the one thing that is 
eluding this program because you know all those years where ohio state as we've talked about so many times is such a consistent force in college football and in the one that the, the program that's like immune to those those dips but then for whatever reason that just had never been able to convert it to and maybe schleister could have been that guy if there weren't some of his own demons maybe he would have put something together that would have interrupted that trend and he would stand as like the real the one that's really out there but w- without him i mean it just it's never really happened and now you're starting to get the momentum going justin fields did promising things cj stroud going number two this is you know in a if you look at it from just the the ten thousand foot view and in looking into the future this is just part of i think what ryan day hoped to establish here and 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 start uh, a start kind of just remaking the image of Ohio state where now you just expect Ohio state every two, three years has a quarterback that's going in the top half of the NFL draft. So I hope we can, it is weird, Steven draft coverage is weird, but sometimes like when stuff gets brought up about like, well, you know, Ohio state doesn't have a history of like draft success, or whatever. And it's like, and they mention it's like, well, we talk about Rex Kern. What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter. Like the whole, he's the 21st, quarterback unless i missed someone in 1937 also who was a fullback wingback running back halfback quarterback in 1937 i apologize he's a 21st ohio state quarterback drafted at all not counting terrell Pryor in the supplemental draft not braxton not counting braxton miller being drafted as a receiver but steven it's the, it's his history at ohio state troy smith wins a heisman he's a fifth round pick craig krenzel wins a national championship he's like a fifth round pick right rex kern Super soft. He's a 10th round pick. They had these winning quarterbacks who were never those kind of NFL guys. So now you wind up putting stuff like the, the modern history matters. I think Dwayne, the late great Dwayne Haskins, what he did or didn't do in the NFL, I think is fair to evaluate. And what Justin Fields has or hasn't done in the NFL, I think is fair to evaluate. But this time of year, it's always weird to me when it's like, well, you know, Tom Tupa. It's like, what are we talking about? Who cares? Because this is it's a it's as drastic of an offensive makeover. I don't know, right? I'd be, it would be like if yeah. if if Oklahoma started running the option under Brent Venables. Like this is such a drastic makeover that the only thing that matters in trying to evaluate Ohio State quarterbacks in the league is the last five years because anything before that's a different world. And the the reason they use doesn't necessarily match up. Like the guys you just named, they were never NFL guys. They were never, and that was kind of a thing for some for, uh, for college football powers for a while. That a lot of those college football powers weren't necessarily comp- producing NFL guys at quarterback because they just had talent somewhere else. It wasn't like Ohio State had had this history of first and second round quarterbacks who were busts, and then because that would make some sense. But just to, you're you're comparing it to guys who were never NFL guys. Well, now they finally have some NFL guys, and fine. Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace, but his career as a football player was not going the way you would expect for somebody who was drafted as high as he was. Fine. So maybe that's a check in that one. Justin Fields, I think the jury is still out because the Bears have put nothing around him these last two years, and he's just been kind of willing on talent and kind of prove that they should put some stuff around him. They did this offseason, so we'll see there. But I think C.J. Stroud is the most important layer in all of this because this is Ryan Day's first complete job. He recruited him. 
He developed them from day one, and now he just spit them out into the NFL draft as a number two pick. The same way that I think Caleb Williams is going to be that for Lincoln Riley, because if you really look at it before that, a lot of his guys were transfers. And then the Spencer Rattler thing happened. It was like, eh, is he really that good of a quarterback developer? And now he's back on track. We would have, we could have been talking about CJ the same way as Spencer Rattler coming out of that Tulsa game where it's like, eh, is Ryan Day really that good at this, or is Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields really just that good? So CJ becoming what he's becoming is going to continue to accentuate what Ryan Day is as a quarterback developer and what Ohio State is, because that's not, hey, we took a transfer who's already pretty talented. He was just looking for an opportunity, or we took a third-year guy in the program who's just anxious to get on the field. That's a come here, we can from we'll recruit you, we'll develop you, we'll spit you out to the next way as a Heisman Trophy finalist and a first-round draft pick. And so you've got CJ and then potentially Kyle McCord or Devin Brown up next, or maybe both. Nathan, I had 63 quarterbacks taken in the top 10 between Arch Schleister and C.J. Stroud. Jim McMahon, for your Bears, taken one pick after Arch Schleister. That's how close Arch Schleister was to wearing a headband on the sidelines for the uh, for the Bears in the Super Bowl. So in that group, the 63 quarterbacks came from 43 different schools. USC and Oregon had four top 10 quarterbacks in that time. Oklahoma had three, Washington State, BYU, UCLA, Penn State, Houston, Tennessee, Fresno State, and North Dakota State each had two. There was a time in college football, Nathan, where developing NFL quarterbacks and winning at a high level were not the same thing. Right. And now I think they aren't exactly the same thing, but they're pretty close and they're much closer than they used to be. And it wasn't JT Barrett who is the most prolific winningest, you know, maybe on a Mount Buckmore, like JT Barrett, not drafted. Like not, like not, there's no part of JT Barrett that's an NFL quarterback. That is not that long ago, Nathan. But Mm -hmm. in this world, it's not that Ohio State is developing NFL quarterbacks for the sake of developing NFL quarterbacks. It's that the game has changed. And I think, for Ohio State's benefit, Ohio State has managed to change with it because Dwayne Justin and CJ aren't about having a nice Thursday in April. They're about trying to win national championships. Now, they didn't win a national championship with any of the three, but they won a lot of games and they were pretty darn good. And I think that's that's the thing that if you were still Ohio State of the old days, I think you feel like you were missing out right now. But they changed right when the game changed. And I think the best programs had to change yeah i mean and i don't know who do you give urban meyer some credit for that do you give gene smith some credit for that for picking ryan day and establishing him here partially because he saw how important quarterback was going to be and and, and having someone like that in place uh but i think you're right i think that happened at a, a critical time and you can do it still without that kind of quarterback georgia just proved it stetson bennett is still going to be on the board until saturday probably later in the day on Saturday before he's picked sixth, seventh round. And you can win multiple national championships with him, but you just have to stack yourself in like every other group. Like you have to just be uber talented everywhere else and getting this kind of quarterback in place. Number one, I think it's just the football that Ryan day wants to play, but if you can have great play from that position, uh, an elevated level of play from that position, it can be the thing that maybe overshadows makes up for deficiencies that you have elsewhere all right we'll wrap up cg when we come back we'll talk about paris johnson jackson smith and jigba what else is happening with the buckeyes next on buckeye talk all right back on buckeye talk 
Nathan, Paris Johnson, six to Arizona. The Cardinals, there was speculation during the day Thursday that the Cardinals, who were picking third, Paris Johnson suddenly is, might be the guy at number three for the Cardinals. Then the Cardinals trade out of number three down to 12 with the Texans. The Texans come up to three to get Will Anderson, but then the Cardinals come up from 12 to six to get Paris Johnson. So it feels like they had their guy. They got extra picks out of it. Well done by Arizona. Kyler Murray liked it, didn't he? What do you think of Paris Johnson with the Cardinals, Nathan? He did. He said the dropped the LFG on it. Uh, seemed pretty excited. And, and there were, those rumblings were out there coming into the last few days, right? That maybe Kyler Murray had made his preference known to Cardinals brass that he was like, hey, can we stop? Like, let's get this guy. We need to make it established long term. I mean, Murray's obviously a, a, a mobile quarterback in his own right but also is coming off an ACL tear. So he probably likes the idea of protection. And actually, as bad as as Arizona's offensive line has been at times, their, their tackles are kind of steady. Like they've got a couple of veterans there that aren't that bad. But, but clearly, Johnson is now the guy that they want there long term. And I thought it was a really smart way to handle that. And I, was, I don't know who you who you're NFL draft coverage of preference is, but I was just watching NFL Network tonight, and Ian Rappaport said after that pick, that's who they were going to take at three. Like that's what his intel was telling him. They were going to take him at three, but then they could also see that um, the Colts weren't going to probably take a tackle. Seattle probably wasn't going to take a tackle. So you could, they could probably see all of this unfolding in front of them. I, the only thing about it that surprised me a little bit was maybe that the Lions would trade off a six because they had the extra pick anyway, but um, a really smart move by the Cardinals uh, and a place where Paris Johnson can, his versatility could probably get him on the field this first year, even if it's not a tackle while they figure out what's going on with these veterans that they have now locked up for a couple of years, but a place that he can obviously grow with a quarterback who's got some talent. It's just a, a franchise though, that, also has had some kind of deep-seated problems. So if they can get, if the whole franchise can get back on the right track, then it's a it's a good fit for Paris. You don't drop the guy at six to play him at guard. And like versatility is like, what's his versatility? That they took a tackle and squeezed him into guard when he never should have been there? Like they've got to play him at tackle, don't they? They've committed they, 60 some million dollars to the left tackle is all I'm saying. They, I don't think you take, you see these tackles go in the top 10. The thing we talked about, there's always tackles in the top 10. And the other thing we talked about is there was this, was there a head-to-head showdown between Paris Johnson and Northwestern's Peter Skaronsky to be the first tackle off the board? And then it, like, it wasn't a contest, Stephen. Like, it came around at the end that everybody in NFL draft Twitter is like, Paris Johnson's clearly the number one guy. Peter Skaronsky has short arms. He winds, Skaronsky winds up going 11. He's not even the second tackle off the board. Mm -hmm. But I think what coalesced in the end, Stephen, was, and and I said this, I'm just glad in the end, and I think I was wrong for thinking it maybe wouldn't go this way. I thought it was kind of crazy, and then that they made Paris Johnson play guard for a year. But it worked out. It was fine. And I think, Nathan, you the whole time were like, hey, it's going to be fine. Like, it doesn't matter if he's on a two-year starter at left tackle, because that's the one thing with Skaronsky. Skaronsky played a gazillion left tackle stops, snaps at Northwestern because he was a three-year starter at left tackle. And it's like, well, how you Paris Johnson can't win that argument because Ohio State didn't let him do that. And then it turns out, Stephen, that argument wasn't an argument because they're like, oh, no, this guy's better. So he only played it one year, but he can do it. He's that good. 
I think that's because there there is a world here where one year of left tackle is probably not enough. I mean, Panay Sewell, I think, came back for another year, if I'm not mistaken there, uh, to, to play left tackle again before he he ended up getting drafted. So we've seen it before. It's just Paris was that good. He didn't give up a sack until the Michigan game when it was clear they were throwing the ball. And he didn't give up a sack where it was like, oh, he just got his butt beat until the Georgia game. And even then, that was kind of late in the game. And so from, from what Rob Report said, it seemed like Cardinals were sold him, him all along. And it's the upside there of what he already hasn't shown, while also the athletic profile that he has there. And plus that it's a cool little tidbit that Paris was talking about how his father also was drafted to the Cardinals, but obviously didn't get to finish his career there. But that's a cool little tidbit as well. But to the point of, I mean, Nathan was right. He only needed one year. It's because he was that good. He was everything that we thought he was going to be as a recruit. We only just got to see it for one year because Thayer Munford and Nicholas petit Frere and Dewan Jones in the year of the tackles. And then, by the way, I think because the Titans have a left tackle that they're paying money to also, right? Because the Titans then took Skaronsky, and I think well, they might have taken Skaronsky to take Nicholas petit Frere's job at right tackle. Well, that- no, I, well, no, I think they just, they just let go of Lawan who had been their big right. money tackle for a while. So, all right. Maybe Skronsky could play inside too. Yeah. Skronsky has short arms. So Darnell Wright, Nathan, we like we had everyone had like bears for a tackle, bears for a tackle, the bears at nine end up trading down to 10. And they do take a tackle. that took Darnell Wright from Tennessee, one spot ahead of Skronsky. So that's still three tackles in the top 11. Tackles go in the top 10. If you could have made a bet, bet that the tackles go in the top 10. Um, I, I like Paris in Arizona. Jonathan Gannon's the new coach there, San Ignatius grad, Cleveland guy, former Eagles assistant. And Kyler kind of had like a weird thing with Cliff Kingsbury, right? That it was like, I don't know. We had we had a Cliff Kingsbury discussion on the last podcast. Here we are again. Talk about Cliff. And so I just think Paris makes everybody happy. Paris, is, does, isn't he that kind of guy that it's like, oh, by the way, I'll block everybody. But he's so friendly. And he's so smart and he's so nice. Like, oh, he's so nice. But I just could be like, I think Paris Johnson will be a great bridge between new head coach Jonathan Gannon and not, I don't think Kyler Murray was disgruntled, but I think it got a little hairy at the end with Cliff and Kyler and like was, you know, I'm not blaming Kyler. I think I'm blaming Cliff. But when, when Kyler Murray says, hey, get me a left tackle, and then they get him a left tackle, and then Paris Johnson's going to be like, what's up, Kyler? And Kyler's going to be like, let's go to Applebee's. How great will that be, Nathan? Don't you want to go to Applebee's with Paris Johnson? I'm so happy for Kyler Murray. I do now because he's paying for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might go somewhere nicer than Next. Applebee's. Um, and listen, like if you're the Cardinals and you – it's been rough there for a couple of years. And if you're the, if you're the owner, the general manager, whatever of the Cardinals, you know that Paris Johnson jr is going to move in and he's going to immediately start creating positive headlines in your community. There's going to be, you can do, you can get all the TV stations there to go, whatever the first event that he does with his foundation, helping people in that community. Cause you know, that's, after football or any equal to football, that's his first priority is to start spreading that. That's been part of the goal of why he wanted to be an NFL player since he was a kid. So uh, just, I'm sure that he went into these, to these uh, meetings and everything else and just crushed it. When I talked to Greg Studrawa, 
uh, for that story I wrote earlier this week about him and Paris and the other rest of this offensive line. And I just asked him, Hey, like, where do you think he's going? And he thought that he had heard, like he, they'd been getting calls. Like he thought the bears at number nine were really interested. So if, if Arizona hadn't traded up, I think there was, he wasn't going to fall. Like there were a lot of projections out there that had him maybe slipping to 12, 14, 15, somewhere down in there. I don't think he, I think he was maybe going to be a top 10 tackle or top 10 pick regardless, because uh, the, the, the impact he had just made. Um, and, and you got to remember too, as you said before, Skronsky had those three full years at, at left tackle, but I mean, Paris Johnson had, had, has had three college years period and you're getting him still at a, there's a lot of upside still there. There's still development left in him. He is not coming in as, as Ryan day was saying about CJ Stroud coming in as like a, a finished product. That's not what you're getting in Paris Johnson jr. Either you're getting somebody who is still, developing the skills that will make him even better, I think, in the future. This is nuts. The Eagles in the last two years have drafted the four best players off Georgia's defense. They drafted Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean last year, and they drafted Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith this year. It's like, what's your strategy? It's like, what we're going to do is we're going to find the best team that does something well in college and take all the players. So the University of Georgia, Philadelphia campus, the accents are going to be a problem, but they can figure it out. That Philly accent for Southern guys is going to be rough. Um, fascinating. Nathan, as you said, I think you sent it out the Texters. Highest tackle taken for Ohio State since Orlando Pace. So this is the guy. It's it's When we talk about this, it's not that we're saying Paris Johnson is Orlando Pace. But right. I think in every way, we were comfortable saying he is the best guy since Orlando Pace as an offensive line recruit, as an offensive line player as an offensive line draft pick. So that doesn't mean you have to be the number one pick and start for 15 years and be an NFL Hall of Famer. But I, I don't think we ever have or anybody ever should have. And the, this is the proofs in the pudding that that's the conversation with this guy. If we talk about like the evolution of how, what the Ohio State tackle position evolved early. If we think the quarterback position has been an evolution and the receiver position has been an evolution, they just skipped they were an early generation. Like this, Orlando Pace should be here now. Orlando Pace should be. Tackle was an early enrollee. <laughs> he should be like, hey, who the left? Like you can be Josh Fryer. It's going to be this Orlando Pace guy who just showed up. So like that, that he should be here now. He's just, he was 25 years early. Nathan, Orlando Pace is 25 years early. So you had the ultimate evolution. But Paris Johnson, if Orlando Pace was a normal human, Paris Johnson would be like on the way up toward Orlando Pace. It's like, well, how can you get better than Paris Johnson? And then Orlando Pace would show up and you'd be like, oh, that. But in the meantime, man, like Paris is as, Paris is as good as it gets if you're not talking about the best offensive lineman in the history of football. Yeah, and I felt a little bit bad about that statistic when I found it, and I was including it while I was writing up. It's like, oh, well, we're gonna we're gonna finish this thing off with another comparison to Orlando Pace, how he's the highest since then. But uh, you know, it's also weird though. It, it it the thing that I kind of have had bouncing around my head tonight is that as celebratory of a night as this is for Ohio State, now you've got Stroud, Smith, and Jigba, and Paris Johnson, three guys who have a combined zero wins against Michigan combined mm. zero playoff wins certainly no national championships uh certainly no big 10 championships like that it, it's um i shouldn't say that 2020 they stroud they, they were all part of the 2020 national uh, big 10 championship that uh, over northwestern um but but not 
significant pieces of that, obviously. So, you know, um, it's, that's just a weird, a weird legacy to be leaving. Um, and I, I, it, I don't think of it as like sliding them in any way. It's just weird to be talking about these guys in this capacity and in with these comparisons, which I think are legitimate, but then still kind of have that hanging out there as like this incomplete part of the whole picture for them. Literally none of those three guys played in that big 10 championship game because right. Jackson wasn't even there because he had tested right. positive for COVID. And I think Paris right. was part of that offensive line group who tested positive. So literally none of them have ever played in a big 10 championship game uh, uh, with Paris. I do think, I, I do wonder if this one can impact the recruiting a little bit because the quarterback is what it is. Wide receiver is what it is, but Ohio State hadn't had a, a, a tackle go in the first round since Taylor Decker. And we're, we're some years removed from that now. Dewan is probably going to come up here pretty quickly on day two here. That plus Paris being the first tackle off the board. I do wonder if that can start to get some of these national tackles attention in a way that you probably weren't getting before. Some of that is just the, the overall, like you just weren't doing your job. Quite frankly, the, the offensive line coach, Greg Chajal wasn't doing his job, but you also didn't have much proof that you could do it. It had been a while since a top 100 or a five-star tackle or a highly rated tackle could look at Ohio State and go, they're going to develop me into a first-round draft pick. So I do wonder if Paris being not just a first-rounder, but the first tackle taken off the board, and no doubt about it, who care, oh, uh, the Cardinals wanted to take here, plus what De- where DeWan Jones might go on, on Friday night, I do wonder if that starts to crack the door open a little bit as Justin Fry is getting into his second cycle as Ohio State's offensive line coach. I will also say that Alabama, for the first time in its history, had the overall number one pick and had yeah. two of the top three players and lost to LSU and didn't win the SEC West this year. So this is like yeah. my yeah. Nathan is going against my joy motivation. It's like so that like cause someone on Twitter said that it's like I said, Ohio State had the second quarterback, the first offensive tackle and the first receiver. And they're like, oh, and no trophies. And it's like, yeah, they sucked. Yeah. Oh, that Ohio State team with all that talent. They sucked. Oh, why did that team suck? Oh, you mean the team? That became within a missed field goal of beating the national champions, who, by the way, didn't have the receiver. And also in that moment, didn't have the receiver who's going to be the first receiver next year. Like uh-huh. the idea of, oh, well, you're a good team, but you didn't win the national championship. It's like, I, no, so no, we, I know. We have that like, context. Just, it's just we're just looking at things from a historical perspective. I, I think whoever said that to you on Twitter was coming from a, from a annoying standpoint. I think it's just more for us. It's more of a man. It's really unfortunate that they didn't get a chance to do all that stuff. Cause these guys are really good and draft day just proved it. I do think it's one of those things where you could have a meme where it's Ryan day. So Ryan day is at the draft. Corey Dennis is at the draft. Justin Fry is at the draft. Mickey Marotti's at the draft. Greg Sudrow was at the draft. There's all these Ohio State people at the draft. And you could have a picture where it's like Ryan Day and Corey Dennis and Justin Fry, like everybody, like Ohio State had three of the top 20 picks in the draft. And it's like the photo of them all smiling and happy. And then you'd have the photo next to it of them, like sitting at the bar over a beer with like sullen looks. And it's like Ohio State lost three of the top 20 picks in the NFL draft. Like, oh, great. They're so good. And they're gone. Give them your hugs now because you're never going to see him again. That's not you're ever see again. So I do think like that idea, this is an elite thing. And I was going to look it up. And then once it became clear that CJ wasn't going to be the first quarterback, if they had had QB one, OT one, WR one, I was going to be like, has that ever happened? So three most important positions on offense. They had the best ones at every, like 
but it didn't happen. So then I didn't look it up. And if I had, there probably would have been three guys in 1937 that I overlooked because they were labeled weird. So that's Paris Johnson, number six to the Arizona Cardinals. Good luck to CJ. Good luck to Paris. Let's move on to Jackson Smith in Jigba. Number 20 to the Seattle Seahawks. And Steven, the thing I like about this, Jackson Smith and Jigba had his biggest year, his only year that mattered at Ohio State, with, with, with two other great receivers. And there's been part of this conversation of like, Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best of them, whatever. Like, I, I can remember thinking this when Ted Ginn Jr. got drafted by the Miami Dolphins, number nine, thinking to myself, I don't know that he's a number one receiver. Because I think there's some, there's something like, what's a number one receiver to me? Like Michael Thomas is like a number one receiver to me, but it's like a guy, maybe you have size and you can get open on third down and you can also kill people down the field and you do everything, right? And I think when you get drafted to be a number one receiver and it's like, hey, like the receiver that, the, that Houston's eventually going to get for CJ, I think is going to have to be a certain kind of receiver. And I actually think ja- Garrett Despite the fact that he's not gigantic, Garrett has a little more of that to me. Uh-huh. That if the Jets were like, oh, we're taking Garrett Wilson, what are you going to do with him? Build our offense around him. It's like, oh, okay. No, that sounds good. And then you saw what Garrett Wilson did early last year with the Jets with lousy quarterback play. It's like, nope, I think that works. This is not a slight at all about Jackson Smith and Jigba. And the thing, Stephen, that I like about it is we're not going to find out and we don't have to and who cares? Because yeah. he played with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, and now he's going to go play with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, which might be a pretty good facsimile of Olave and Wilson. And it doesn't mean he's their third best, but it means he's one of three. He's a th- one of the three amigos. He's not the only guy in town coming in to take care of the bad guy. And we don't have to find out, Stephen. And the result is he might have 120 catches this year because he's not going to have to do it by himself. And I like putting Jackson into a world where he's not the only guy that a defense has to worry about because we have proof if there's any if you give him an opening at all because there are other guys to worry about he will destroy you so I think this fit in Seattle it's a little lower than we all predicted a little lower than I certainly expected feels like a nice fit for him with the Seahawks they're not the same style of receiver but the concept I think of what he is is very similar to like T Higgins is a really good wide receiver if he's your second wide receiver. I think that's what makes him so valuable to the Bengals is that Jamar Chase is their number one and he's their number two. I think that might be what Jackson is in the NFL. If he's like your second best receiver, that's an awesome receiving court. I think he can very easily be wide receiver two to, to DK Metcalf's wide receiver one by the end of next season. And it's a, his skill set is just so dominant at the college level where slot receivers are basically unguardable, especially in Ohio State's offense. I don't know if it, it doesn't necessarily always translate the same way at the NFL level, but if he's playing alongside a true legitimate wide receiver one, that's a dangerous passing attack. I think also in, in so, contrast to the way that we were talking about, in contrast to the way we were talking about um, the Texans and the Cardinals uh, and, and some of the recent things that they've done in the past, like, what better franchise the NFL almost there's there's a small list and the Seahawks are on it like how how good are the Seahawks at doing this that when the tires are about to fall off of Russell Wilson they traded him to the Broncos and got that pick that they were using at number five and like it's just like they know what they're doing this is a a 
a a class franchise, a franchise that knows how to win championships, coach that knows how to win championships. Um, I, there's just a lot of things to like about it before you even start factoring in what seems to be a pretty good football infrastructure right now for him. They had 2,000-yard receivers last year. DK mm-hmm. Metcalf, 90 catches, 1,048 yards. Tyler Lockett, 84 catches, 1,033 yards. And they added Jackson Smith and Jigba. They added it's they added it's 2020 the 21 first Ohio State. Off the board. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the this is it's like, oh, how could you replicate this? This is how you would do it. And the, the way they could do this is because they could take a luxury pick because they took Devin Witherspoon at number five as a mm-hmm. number one corner that they had because they had that pack that pick from Denver. So this is their second first round pick. So the best teams you don't pick from need you pick from talent and you fill needs for free agency but like if you're like man we really need a corner we can't take jackson smith and jigba five we, we, like this corner is too good to pass up but now boom you know how this worked last year last year you know who else the jets picked the corner with their first first round pick and sauce gardner was the nfl rookie of the year for defense and then they took garrett and garrett was also awesome and the jets all of a sudden looked pretty good this is a version of that for seattle let's go get a cor- man this is there's all kinds of replicating here. Let's go get a corner. Let's go get a receiver. I like I like the fit. And I don't think, because the one thing, Stephen, that happened, I like your T. Higgins comparison. T. Higgins also, I think, started to make some noise this year about like, you know, I'm a number one receiver. Yeah. You know, I'm not. And which is great. Like the, the like too much talent. Oh, you have so much talent. Your number two thinks he's a number one. Mm-hmm. Great. That means you're good. Their passing game is awesome. I don't think Jackson will be this way, but it's also, I'll be very curious how it all works out and what the stats look like at the end of the year, Steven, because Chris and Garrett both exploded statistically as rookies last year because they had opportunity. So it's hard to have 3000 yard, 3000 yard (laughs) receivers. So I wonder statistically how Jackson will fit in, but I also wonder when people flip on Seahawks games, it's third and six. What are they doing? I think a decent chunk of the time they're going to be throwing a Jackson Smith and Jigba in the middle of the field as he as he sits down in a zone, Stephen. I could see a world where he has 100-plus catches and 1,200 yards just because that's Jackson. But I could also see a world where maybe he has like 60 catches for like 700 yards, and then they do what we've seen in the past where it's you keep the young guy and you get rid of the old guy you don't want to pay. And then year two, Jackson really explodes because now he's just got a bigger role because they got rid of an older guy. I could see that as well. Either one of those maybe seem to be on the table here because unlike with the T. Higgins thing, the Bengals are about to have to pay a lot of guys very quickly here. And that, that's just not where the Seahawks are because guys are on different contracts with their receiving core. Yeah, Tyler Lockett's 30, so yeah. he might not be around forever. Um, they still He's on an extension where they're going to take a dead cap hit he probably has two years before Seattle would move on from him. But anyway, it's a nice fit. Sometimes you don't want to go do something by yourself. So in the end, a thing that I thought would happen didn't happen, and I would have lost money on it. What is it next on Buckeye Talk? So the draft is over. The first round is over. And Dewan Jones was not a first-round pick. In the end, I had been saying, I think it's 3-1. to one. It was 3-1. to one. one of the draft sites had, is this guy a first round pick or not? And it was plus 300 on Dewan Jones. So I got the book right. And then I got the bet wrong. If I had made it, Dewan Jones, not a first round pick, Nathan, uh, Anton Harrison 
from Oklahoma, most draft boards, there was a clear top four tackles. Yeah. And that's how it went. There were four tackles in the top 14. And I thought, oh, that's good for Dewan. And then most draft boards, like the mock draft database and stuff, fifth Dewan was fifth or sixth. And it was with Anton Harrison from Oklahoma. Harrison went 27th to the Jags. And it was like, okay, here we go. This could be it. And then it didn't happen. The Bengals, who I had thought might be a spot for Dewan, their five tackles gone before that. They ended up taking Miles Murphy out of Clemson, who's just like a high upside defensive lineman who probably shouldn't have fallen that far. In the end, I'm... I can't say I'm surprised, um, but I still thought it was completely possible that Dewan Jones went in the first round. What do you think, Nathan, that the night ended with with three first round Buckeyes, but not four? And, you know, if the uh, the Dolphins hadn't done their chicanery and there was another pick in the first round, what are the domino effects of that? It throws other things off. Maybe the guy who the Chiefs took at 31 wasn't on the board anymore and Jones was next on their list. Like, we'll never know. Um, it was plausible, it, and it, it speaks to what Dewan Jones has done with his life and his football career. I mean, a, a guy who, you know, got on the field as a true freshman because of just the the sheer size and the unique physical presence that he is, and was out there on special teams and stuff. But it was still almost a novelty even to him at that point. And then for that fire to finally eventually kick in, and for him to decide that he was committed to football, you saw a very rapid ascent from like that decision to what Steven was talking about before. I mean, we, we talk all the time about like, you know, Hey, if they Everett doesn't come back, how does that change things for Paris Johnson? Well, really it was Dewan Jones emerging and them feeling like they had to make him a starter uh, that, that threw that whole offensive line into chaos in, in preseason camp in 2021. And he was excellent. I mean, I was look, looking back at the numbers tonight, like no sacks allowed and five pressures allowed for an entire season. And I know right tackle is different than left tackle, especially at the college level, but that's still impressive. And somebody's, I think, going to get a, a good value on him in the second round. I got a good stat coming up. But first, Jerry Emig, the Ohio State sports information guy, your friend and mine, firing off the uh, press release seconds after the first round ends. All-time first-round draft picks, Ohio State, 90 now. 90, all-time. Most of any team, USC second with 85, Alabama third with 79, Notre Dame 70, Miami 67. Eighth time in the last 10 years, Ohio State with multiple first-round picks. That's pretty good. Eight times in 10 years, multiple first-round picks, Jerry says. And in terms of streaks of first-rounders, eight years in a row, that Ohio State has a first-rounder. Alabama leads that list with 15 straight years. Then it's Ohio State 8, Georgia 6, Michigan 5, Mozzie Smith slid into the first round for the Wolverines. Florida 4, Oregon 4, USC 4 in terms of uh, having a first-rounder. Three first-round picks for Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama in this draft. And let's see. I think that's about all that matters. So here's my stat. Big Ten got a tie, Stephen. I think uh, who's the the guy? Nathan doesn't the new guy's having his uh, introductory news conference on Friday? Is he not Nick Parati? What's his name? Mm-hmm. The new Big Ten commissioner, Nick Parati. What's his name? Oh, his name is not Nick Parati. <laughs> his name is uh, Petiti. Oh, is it Nick? Is it Nick though? Don't remember. Ron? Is it Ron? It's Ron. 
Name that Big Ten commissioner. Is it Ron Petiti? What? What is um, it? This is probably something we should know. We are professional. Tony. His name is Tony. Podcast. Tony, Tony Petiti. Right. Yeah. Tony Petiti. Nick did it yeah. sound right. Petiti. P T I T T I. Petiti. P E T Petiti. Tony Petiti or Petiti? <laughs> I'm gonna guess it's Petiti. That's just a guess on my part. Yeah. Petiti. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's how I would say it. Petiti. Ron? No. Tony Petiti. He's going to announce this at his news conference. Most first-round picks, Stephen. Big Ten, nine. SEC, nine. Tie. Tie. Big 12, six. ACC, four. Pac-12, three. No group of five guys in the first round. And first six picks, Stephen. Three SEC, three Big Ten. And it's not just Ohio State. How about this? Two Iowa defenders. Two Iowa defenders in the first round. So let's see. We got three Ohio State guys. We got two Iowa guys. Uh, Illinois. Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell and uh, Lucas Van Ness. We got Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. We have Mozzie Smith from Michigan. And we have Deontay Banks from Maryland. Is that right? Is that all? One, two, three, four, five. There's one more. Joey Porosky. Oh, Skaronsky. Yeah. Joey Porter right, didn't right, go right. in the first round. Yeah, Porter didn't oh, go. Joey yeah. Porter, surprisingly, didn't go in the first round. Long, Marvin Harrison Jr. ruined yeah. his film. Yeah, he can blame Marv for that. So that's pretty good for the Big Ten, Stephen. Like, we talk, like, again, when I was doing this by myself and, like, in the Trestle era when Ohio State was just beating the living daylights out of the Big Ten every year, and once the season ended, I just went into a six-month thing of, like, why does the Big Ten suck? And everything was like, how are the Big Ten teams doing in bowls? How's the Big Ten doing in the draft? And it was like, not good. I think this matters, Stephen. There are nine first-round picks for the Big Ten, and six of them are non-Ohio State people. That's not nothing, Stephen. I think the impressive part is how many of the SEC guys are Bama or Georgia? Because yes, I think that's, nine are Bama and Georgia. That's what's impressive to me is only three of the nine are Ohio State guys. And there, I mean, you got Michigan, uh, Michigan, you throw them in there. It's, it's, it's all over the place. And really the rest of the big 10 carry the defense because Ohio state's guys are quarterback, a wide receiver and a tackle. So that's a pretty big deal for the big 10. And this will, as obviously with USC and UCLA coming in here shortly and Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, this will probably continue to be the conversation. The other conference is short, but it's probably going to be, it's probably going to start to be a who had more teams drafted on a daily on a yearly basis, the Big Ten or the SEC. Not only were six not from Ohio State, but only one of those six was from the other playoff team in Michigan. So yeah. it's like it's four teams, it's four players from teams that weren't even in the playoff. Like so, um, I, I agree with you guys. I think it's 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 positive momentum for the Big Ten. Can I can I just say one thing? Is it okay if we make fun of Iowa for a little bit? Is everybody cool with that? It's late. Of course. We'll just do it for like two minutes. I already smirked when you said oh, two Iowa defensive players, and I'm thinking like right, we'll yeah. come back when we come back when Iowa gets an offensive player in the first round, which they will certainly Drafted. attack. No, they just had. I mean, Lindenbaum, Lindenbaum yeah, last yeah, year. They'll they'll have offensive linemen and tight ends, but so Jack Campbell went in the first round, and when we did our mock draft at Cleveland.com, our own Tim Bielek. Pick Jack Campbell in the first round. Not as high as he actually went in the draft, but I was like, man, Jack Campbell yeah. in the first round. Jack Campbell, I was almost going to tweet it, but then I didn't. I thought, I think maybe Jack Campbell made the best defensive play against Ohio State last season, that pick on C.J. Stroud where he dropped back in coverage and played that perfectly. And 
I don't know. There were other good defensive plays. So, but Jack Campbell was kind of did it every down. Like if you were paying attention at all during the course of last season, because as the Iowa offense became a joke last year, I think with that, there should have, and I think there did grow a real respect for the Iowa defense because it was absolutely legit. And as much of a, of a clown show the offense was, the defense was just as good. And like Jack Campbell's the foundational piece of that. He's a guy in the middle of the defense that does everything. He can cover, he can run, he can hit. He's a sideline to sideline linebacker, all those things. This whole Lucas Van Ness thing, Nathan, has thrown me off. And they yeah. talked about it on the draft coverage. They're like, well, he didn't start. You know how Iowa is. They like to play the old guys. So I'm not blaming Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator. I'm going to blame Kirk Ferentz for establishing a culture. Like, you know what? It's not really about talent. It's about who's been here the longest. Like, if you get in line first, you get to play more because you've been here the longest. That's how you establish culture. Hey, guys, who's been here the longest? Raise your hand. All right, first 11 guys, you get to start because you've been here the longest. Last year against Ohio State, Nathan, and this is, and I was going to make like make a big deal about this on Twitter, and then it was like, oh, Jordan Davis for Georgia two years ago, like people thought was a Heisman candidate, and he played less than half the snaps, but that's just because he weighs 600 pounds, and they had four other first-round draft picks to rotate with him. Lucas Van Ness against Ohio State, there were six to four, 64 defensive snaps for Iowa. He played 31. Yeah, And then he was drafted in the teens. And it was like, oh, what do you do against Ohio State? It's like, oh, we don't really play him. He's, uh, he didn't put his hand up for how long he'd been here. The other guy who had been here longer, you know, it's Ohio State. Kind of everybody wants to play in that game. It's like it's Ohio State. They have the fancy helmets. Everybody gets excited. It wasn't fair to the other guys to let Lucas play more than, say, half. So it's like, oh, Lucas Van Ness. I was like, did he play against Ohio State? Who is he? Because he's not even the guy... There was the guy who like hit CJ and forced the fumble yeah. and picked it up. That's not Lucas Van Ness. That was the other guy. Who is Lucas Van Ness? I have no idea who he is. Apparently, Nathan, he's one of the 20 best football players in college. And Iowa just decided, eh, half the game against Ohio State, that's enough. He, he did lead their edge players, their edge rushers in snaps, it looks like. So he's at least got that going for him. Uh, but listen, like I, I, I was with you. And he was a name that um, was attached to the Bears early on because I think he's related. He has a, someone, some relation of his with the Bears. I can't remember what that what that relationship is. Um, and so that was a name that I saw in mock drafts very early on to the Bears, and I was very skeptical of that. Again, going back to franchises that kind of typically you know what they're doing, the Packers are one of those franchises, and that's who took him tonight. So we'll see how it goes. Maybe I they mean, know something I we guess, don't. Yeah. I mean, when we do those game preview pods and we start listing off players, I just don't ever remember saying his name. I didn't even know he played for Iowa until this. I just don't remember any of that stuff. And, and now, we, I mean, yes, he, he wasn't necessarily technically a starter, so that's probably why. But, I mean, he had pretty quality numbers this year, 10.5 TFL, six sacks, and 37 total tackle. He had a decent year. It's just when we were previewing the Iowa game, I don't think any of us mentioned him. And now I feel like we dropped the ball because clearly he's one of the 20 best players in college football this past year. I'm checking. You know my, what's confusing? I think my write up. I think that the Packers might think he's related to Van Ginkle. Remember Van Ginkle <laughs> who played for Wisconsin a couple years ago? He's my daughter's favorite player because his name's Van Ginkle. And I think maybe they think Van Ness and Van Ginkle are related and Van Ginkle played for Wisconsin. So then the Packers wanted Van Ness. I probably think that's what happened. 
just just to to make sure that we do give an accounting here. Uh, October eighteenth, twenty twenty two, Cleveland.com. Uh, okay. Iowa defensive my my because I, I do the defensive the, the players for Ohio State fans should worry about for the next opponent and that headline was Iowa defensive players for Ohio State football fans to worry about or maybe feel sorry for because we were well into the pathetic uh, offense that was going on but one of the right. five I picked was Lucas Van Ness Van Ness does not start but he does have ten career sacks his twenty four pressures are twice as many as any other Hawkeye has played both defensive tackle and end. It could be one of the most formidable challenges the OSU offensive line has faced this season. Turned out not to really be the case because they, the offense was was just giving the ball to Ohio State that day. But we we did Cleveland.com was on the Lucas Van Ness thing early on. Van Ness does not start, but he hopes that if he sticks around long enough, he'll move up to the front of the line and maybe he'll get to start then. Okay, so it's good for the Big Ten to have better players. So just acknowledge that, right? It's one of those things that I do think in the last 10 to 12 years, it's undeniable. The level of coaching and the overall talent base of the league has improved. Now, it's it's not as good as the SEC, but it's closer. And the idea, I mean, I I don't know if I'll do it or not, but like I'm sure you can go back and find drafts where the SEC had 12 first-round picks and the Big Ten had four. And three of them were from Ohio State, right? I mean, like that's the kind of stuff that was the norm for a time. And so this, again, this is not nothing. Nine to nine in the first round It's worth making note of. Okay, we'll come back and wrap up the draft when it's over. We're not going to do this again. Good luck to Dewan Jones in day two. Good luck to Zach Harrison. Good luck to Luke Whipler. We certainly think it's possible three Buckeyes drafted on Friday, but we'll be writing about it. We'll be covering it. We'll be texting about it. So 614-350-3315 for text subscribers. You send a text to that number. You get a link back to sign up. And cleveland.com slash OSU, you just type it in. You don't have to do anything. You just type it in, and it shows up on your computer, and then you, you use your eyeballs and you read it. So we appreciate you guys following us for Ohio State coverage. We'll talk to you. It's possible we'll squeeze that pot in and put it up Maybe a little early. I don't know. Maybe on Sunday, but it'll probably be the Monday pod. But we're not gonna we're not gonna do it right after round two and three. So anyway, that's round one for Ohio State. Three Buckeyes on the board. Good luck to CJ Stroud at Houston, Paris Johnson in Arizona, and Jackson Smith and Jigba in Seattle. For now, for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.